Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Today again, and here we are with a new innovator, a little different type of innovator, part of a co-op operation. And we haven't had anybody in that area so far. So Reba is going, Plumber is going to join us from Ucycle. And we're going to get into who she is and what she does. So welcome, Reba. Well, thank you, Peter. It's great to be here. Okay. So let's start with your academic experience. Where did you go to school? Well, um, I'm mostly self-taught, you know, this out there on the streets, uh, learn as you go. Um, I, I have, I do have a couple certifications. I, I, um, I did take the, the cooperative management certificate at York University Schulet School of Business in 2010. And I have done introduction to co-op, cooperative development through Co-op Zone, which is the co-op, which is the co-op developer network. And of course, lots of other uh, education pieces uh, for running a business, accounting and law, and, um, all sorts of um, continuing education pieces. So <laughs> quite a bit, but most of it is learned on the job while, while I'm here. So I feel like it's, you know, school, this is school here. Okay. So after the formal education, did you go to work somewhere? Well, actually, I started as a bike mechanic in 1987, and I worked, I've been riding the streets of Toronto for, since then, so over 30 years on the roads year-round, and as a bike messenger, I learned how to fix my own bike, so then I, I didn't want to be doing that full-time, so I started fixing bikes and I opened my own bike repair business alongside another person who had a small uh, messenger delivery business. Um, and then I, I branched out and opened my own store that had retail and, and repairs. It was pretty small. I did that for about 10 years. And then Urbane Cyclist, which, which is where I am now, which is a worker co-op, opened around the corner from me and right from the start when they opened they said well hopefully at some point we can all join together and when my lease came up in 1999 I went why am I doing this on my own <laughs> I went around the corner and I said hey <laughs> I want to you know I want to come over here and join with you folks and so that I started at Urbane Cyclist in 2000 and I'm still here and it's great to be working with the team as a sole proprietor I did have other people helping but the bike industry in particular is very seasonal and of course the best time to ride your bike is the time when the store is the busiest so I didn't get any time off I didn't get any time to go on vacation or ride my bike and now that I'm in a worker co-op and I have other people that support me they and we all support each other I can take, I take summer, I've been taking summer vacations and going riding my bike. I know. <laughs> so 
<laughs> it's just great, I think. So that's one of the huge benefits of being in a worker co-op. You know, we support each other. Okay, so, many of our listeners will have no idea what you're talking about when you talk about a worker co-op. Can you please explain that? Absolutely. So cooperatives come, any business can be a cooperative. It can be a non-profit, it can be for-profit. There's, so that's just businesses. It can be um, producers, like say maybe dairy producers uh, get together and they form a co-op and they have a production co-op and it brings in all the milk and the, the, that sends out all the finished product and you get paid for your inputs, but then you also get a portion of the profits based on um, how much you contributed over the year. So, so that would be a producer co-op. There's also consumer co-ops. I mean, most people are in Canada are probably familiar. It's a sad story, but mountain equipment co-op, just no longer co-op is a consumer co-op and, we were all member owners of Mountain Equipment Co-op. Many people didn't realize that, but we had um, we had a right to vote. We had a right to choose the ownership. We we really got detached in that case, but also that was another one where um, when there were they, when they did profit sharing, you got profits, you got dividend checks based on how much you used the co-op, how much money you had spent there during the year, and and over the years, I know I got many dividend checks. There's also, um, and we're, we're organized as a worker co-op. So it's actually us workers here that are the owners of the business. So people start working here and after the probation period, so every worker co-op will set their own probation period. Uh, you have the opportunity to join the co-op. And when you join the co-op, you, you become an, an owner member and Every owner member, it's co-ops are all the same. It's one member, one vote. So it doesn't matter that I've been a, an owner member for 20 years and our newest member has been here, an owner member for six months. We have an equal vote in the co-op. So when it comes down to decisions about, um, well, just any kind of decisions, are we going to pass this, um, you know, cost of living wage increase? Are we going to? you know, move the business somewhere else? Are we going to bring in a new, different product? Um, we decide together as a group. Are, are, are we going to do something different with our store hours? You know, it's been, there's been a lot of discussion here in the group. Like, you know, COVID safety, we decide together how we're, we are going to do that. So, so we do it in a non-hierarchical way and we have actually consensus decision making model so we all have to agree on things which is not always easy <laughs> so, so with covid how's it made a difference well i think that for for a business of course it's made an extreme difference um, we have been operating with the doors locked for over a year now but because we're in the bike industry we've been very busy and we are considered an essential service because we do repair and so we do transportation. But we have been very careful. So we, we have um, a fairly new hire who was working in another uh, business, bike store, and they weren't following the rules. Like they had the door unlocked and they had more people in the store. And so that person didn't always feel that comfortable 
there? Like, are, are, are we safe? And here, because it's us, we're the owners, we're the workers, we're the management, we're the board of directors. We, we, we want to stay safe. Like, none of us want to go home. And we had a COVID scare. And when one of our, our workers tested positive, and then the, the people who had worked in close contact also had to go home. Like, we didn't just say, oh, well, we won't worry about it, you know, because we don't want anybody else sick. We don't want to get our workers sick. We don't want to get our customers sick. And and back to the other person who worked somewhere else where they weren't being as strict or as safe or however you want to put it, they didn't do any more sales than we did. We just upped our ability to do phone sales, internet sales, you know, replying, setting up a procedure for how do we respond to emails so that we could really stay on top of it? And how are we going to give a really good customer service that we they would get when the customers would get if they were actually here? But now we have to do it on the phone. We have we have to walk them through this. Like at the start a year ago, we went, how can we sell bikes online on the phone how can we do it how can we do it when the person can't touch the bike and throw their leg over it we're professionals we know how to fit people we ask all the questions and people call up and say thank you like no other shop has even asked me any of those questions like just simple things like how tall are you what kind of riding are you going to do what's your inseam length you know what's your price like and so we've just gotten really good we've gotten really good at it and we have we really have um, have excellent, um, you know, excellent service. Uh, getting customers in the bikes together with, and trying to keep the panic level down. So, because people are like so anxious, I need a bike. I need it right now. What have you got? Ah! And then sometimes it's just like, whoa, hold on there. You know, take a look at the website. <laughs> take it easy because we don't want you to buy the wrong thing. You know, like that's just, that's not going to make anybody happy. If you buy the wrong bike and you spend over a thousand dollars, 1500 or something. And then you're like, I'm not comfortable on this. So that's, that's nobody any good. So we just, we just like, come on, bring it all down. Let's relax. We're, you know, we're going to set up a time when we, you know, so we make appointments um, and very few, and then most of them, we, we actually meet with the people out on the sidewalk if they take come for a test ride. But we also make, we, we reserve the bikes. So we put it on hold and we say, don't worry. So I know you can't come to, we don't have an appointment for you for 10 days. Don't worry. We're keeping that bike for you. And then you can decide when you get here. So we've, we've done a really, I think, a really good job of that and making our cust- keeping our customers happy. What about suppliers? Is that a problem? Well, it, I mean, supply is a problem. The suppliers are a problem. I mean, some are better than others. It's just sort of normal. Um, some are more on top of it. And that's probably depends also on what's behind them in their, in their, line of supply so some are are really good have a really good idea of what what we can expect and when and other people have no idea they don't know when and they don't even know how much anymore because of the price increases that have been going on 
but we have a great team here and we we really stay on on top of it so we we've been ordering for this year for nine months we've been putting in orders and we already before we even got a product for this year we were already asked to make our orders for 2022 uh, it's just how messed up the supply chain is so we expect delays but we, we've been able to manage we we've we've got a pretty good inventory it's it's that bikes are harder to get um, because they have uh, 150 or so pieces on each bike and if you're missing one you can't make a whole bike so so sometimes now we're getting a little bit we're trying to keep again keep it down calm like people call it i hear there's nothing available and it's like no 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 it's okay we have lots of stuff yes i can you can get a tire and a tube and uh, yeah you can get a tune up you know like it's okay relax so but, but you know i get it it's spring people are anxious they want to get out on their bikes they, they'd like to just be allowed to go out in fact, right now. I live in a senior community, and I've seen a great increase in the number of bikes in our community. So, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah. where is your company going to be three years from today? Well, three years from today, um, we will still be here, um, and hopefully... By that time, we have secured um, a new lease on the place. We still have about five years, but you know, you want to get out in front of that kind of thing. So hopefully, by three years, we really have a solid plan about, you know, will we be here? Do we have another place? Maybe like, uh, I mean, our dream would be to buy the building. That would be great. So um, we have a, a really good landlord, and I know that it's at a point in life where he would probably be willing to sell it, but of course it's always got to be the right amount in downtown Toronto. I mean, we'd have to be doing some sort of fundraiser or something. Um, shell, we'd have to sell, we'd have to sell shares, um, but we are incorporated with share capital. So we could, we could potentially sh sell shares or maybe um, there's another, Sing uh, another social economy. Those the what the Center for Social Innovation sold community bond yeah community bonds. So it, it might be possible to do something like community bonds, but but we're not nonprofit, so I don't know exactly if that fits. But you know I, that would be the dream to because then we would have um, a secure long term home because. We, we are 24 years old, but we were 19 years in our first location, and we've been here five. So we, we that's that's the toughest thing, though, making sure we have a place, a place for our business. So we have the will to be here. So in terms of our listeners, what would you ask from them? Is it well, money? Is it I think, contacts? Is it partnerships? Well, I think with the general public, I think it's it's 
it's um, helping with the cycling advocacy would probably be the best thing because, you know, not everybody is here. Of course, if they can, if they think about where they're shopping and they're looking for bicycle products, sure. Um, shop with us. Um, but I think cycling advocacy, cause it helps all of us. The, the more infrastructure, you know, if you build it, they will come. So the more bike lanes you put out there, the more cycling routes you recommend, just the more options people have for that kind of stuff, the more they'll use it. And if we could make it like, you know, kids just can't go out and bike around like we used to do when we were kids. So how do you learn to ride a bike? How do you learn to really enjoy it? That, that freedom that you get when you have a bike and you can just jump on it and ride off uh, into the sunset and, and, and people don't aren't learning that. So making our, making safe spaces for people to bike, getting people out on bikes getting kids out on bikes getting another generation cycling um, so i think that increasing all that infrastructure where you can actually um, travel with the bike so you can take it on the transit there's there's more and more but continuing to move towards that so if the pandemic slows down in the toronto area by the end of September. Will you still do some of the things that you've been doing in your current situation? I think so. It will permanently change the way that we do business. Uh, we now are used to have a few, we've always had, we've had a web store for, uh, I don't know, maybe almost a decade now. But of course, in the last year, it's gotten much busier. And we also, people, we have that. So I think that's great. Like we're gonna continue to, to encourage people to shop on the web store because then we prep the order and then they just drop by and pick it up. And that is, is really good. So we're not spending as much time running off to the stock room to grab a couple of things each time we see someone. And, and I would also like to have, you know, of course, we're a group, so we all have our own opinions, but I would like to see us with a little bit more limited access to the store. Like, it's not just anybody walks in any old time uh, or, or maybe, um, you know, a, a section. We have a fairly big store, so you can come in and you can browse in the front, but you don't have as much access to the whole store. Because we, we used to spend a lot of time just hanging out with people, making sure they didn't rob us. And we don't put any effort into that anymore because there's nobody here to, in the store to do that. And so, you know, so things like that would really, I think will be helpful if we can um, do that. Because it's not that we, we really like our customers and we like to chat with them uh, and we, we want to see them more in person. Uh, it's not the same thing on email and on the phone, but it, it would be nice to not be overrun. I, so I, I can imagine doing a lot more appointments where we're going to do a one-on-one -on -one and we've saved time and we're going to look at bikes with you or, you know, more appointments for picking up bikes and just less sort of general access to the whole store. So, yeah, just a bit more managed. So how big is your store? And how many are on your team? 
So we have um, the sales floor is about 2,000 square feet. And overall, we have about 6,000 square feet with storage and office. And we have 13 people on the team. And we would have been uh, 20 people um, in 2019. And so we have less people. We're, we're, we feel a little bit short-staffed. And we've been cautious about just bringing more people in because we don't we, – like we have enough room, we can really spread out. And we're careful with that. We wear masks inside all the time, and that's what saved us when we've had that when we had that COVID positive test and nobody else um, tested positive. So, so we've been hesitant, but I think we need a few more. We need a couple more people um, to really help us uh, operate smoothly and not feel overextended all the time. But yeah, we will. I don't know. We'll go somewhere in between there. I think. Um, yeah. So. Okay, you're in Toronto now. Have you thought of setting one up in another location? Well, it's always been a dream to have more than one location. But when we try to get there, we're always so oh, we have we're we have enough on our hands with one. So I don't know if we want to have, uh, we're still not ready. I think, as I said, with the new ways of doing things with far more uh, web store presence, I think that this is when maybe there's an opportunity to move. Um, and, and maybe that's what will happen when our lease comes up. If we don't, we can't buy and stay in such a big place. Maybe we'll, go to um, a smaller outlet, maybe we'll have more than one um, and then maybe a warehouse, central warehouse or something that can run more of the operations. So, you know, it's always, who knows what'll come in the future. <laughs> so in my world of social innovation, uh, some of the folks, what they do is they expand by way of a social franchise. So what they do is they have their operations manual and they charge a fee for somebody who wants to set one up in another location. And that's called a social franchise rather than a straight franchise operation, which is kind of neat. Oh, yeah. We would always be open to um, options like that. Um, because it would have to be another um, want to set it up as a worker co-op. So they didn't need to have three people, but if they wanted to, you know, join together, cause we're always ready to work with other people to work as a team. And we know that the more people you get that quantity of, you know, you get a better deals by being able to buy, purchase more, bigger purchasing power. So I, Absolutely, we'd be we'd love to do that. And if people are interested, I, I'm also um, one of my other jobs is I'm on the I'm the president of the Canadian Worker Co-op Federation. So it's our our national federation that for worker co-ops, and we they have a regular webinars for how to start a co-op, what is a co-op, and we're also launching launching a program the worker co-op academy and so people can we, we'll have this course going on and it 
can take people all the way through starting their own worker co-op. So if people were interested, especially if people went through a program like that, well, we would be, we'd be really interested. And we always help. We're always, this is one of the things with co-ops, co-ops help co-ops, but we also help other businesses too, but we're not secretive about our, a lot of our information. Um, so we share our bylaws, we share our, our handbook. We share that kind of information. So it's people wanted that kind of stuff where, you know, sometimes people call up and I share some of the business information. Like they say, Oh, I'm looking, where do I buy this stuff? And I tell them which distributor to go to. You know, a lot of it's like working together. We're not in competition. Like we see the more bikes that are out there, the more people ride, the better for all of us. So um, yeah, we don't want you to set up next door. Like that's not great. (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you know that other than that you know that we're we really we absolutely we, we would consider any kind of options I, I mean you know we're a group so i'm i'm speaking for myself and then always these things we have to flow back through the whole co-op we discuss it and you know is it the right thing how do we want it to fit so so I Raven, don't make the decision myself. We make it as a group. <laughs> Reba, what's the name of the national organization? It's called the Canadian Worker Co-op Federation, okay. CWCF. Yes. So that you can find there on the web. The programs are there, the events. Um, I think if you go in there, you're going to find our, our handbook on there because it's uh, our, our worker handbook because I think it's part of the resources. Okay. So finally, how do people get a hold of you and your company? Well, our website is um, ucycle.com, U-C-Y-C-L-E.com, or just Urbane Cyclist, U-R-B-A-N-E, Cyclist Worker Co-op. We'll bring you to our web store. Um, We are at 280 College Street in Toronto, and our phone number is 416-979-9733. And we love to get phone calls, emails. Um, we respond to emails. So lickety split. Our email was down yesterday, <laughs> so that was a little that was a little distressing. Where are all the emails today? But um, yeah, we are right on that. We respond to every every inquiry. So well, we'd love th- to hear from you. Thank you very much this afternoon. You've, uh provided a lot of insight into a co-op, and you've shown us an example of a successful co-op and your own organization. So thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Peter. It was a pleasure to uh, come to your podcast.